welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Comero. And the last time I was with you, I was I was joined by Joe Gaudio then. I am also joined by Joe Gaudio today. We were talking about Duke's first three games, and it almost feels like it's been a whole different season. There's a lot that's gone on these three games. At this point, we have learned more about this Duke team. There's still plenty to learn, but either way, I think it was a fantastic tournament win in the 2K Championship in Madison Square Garden. They're actually it makes them three and zero Madison Square Garden and three and zero Cameron this season. So yeah, I mean 2K 2K Classic win, Champions Classic win. I would say while there are some issues to talk about, the bottom line is they're undefeated and. Yeah, I mean, that's really all there is to it. I, th- I think especially in this type of season, it is important, at least for me, is to kind of appreciate the good as it comes. You never know what's going to turn out with this team, but I think there was a lot of positives to take away. How did you feel about overall? We're going to talk mostly about, obviously, Georgetown, but there has been a three-game stretch of Georgia State, Cal, and Georgetown since we last recorded. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, recorded. So, Joe... Uh, what are your big takeaways from the last three games, especially Georgetown? Well, I mean, it's always good to come off of a championship of any sort, regardless of what the actual competition was. But I thought they looked really, really sharp against Cal. Against Cal. Their defense was really good. Obviously, Georgetown is is a step up from, from them, of course. You know, they look pretty good against Texas, actually. But um, just... I'm happy where they are progressively, and and I was actually talking with my cousin, who's also a huge Duke fan, and we were saying that this is just a better college basketball team than some of the teams we've had in the past because they're more they're not as reliant on one player. They play, you know, they have a larger rotation. So I mean, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited to be honest with with where they're at currently in the season with only six games in. So Georgetown, they are a team that I th- I was really high on before the season started, and I predicted them in the season preview to beat Texas. Even though they were ranked much lower than Texas, I predicted they would win. And then the season started, and Georgetown, they really didn't look good, to be honest. Despite all the talent, despite all the returning talent, Omer Yurtseven, who's a hell of a player, I'm sure everyone recognized. I mean, he can- he was 2-0. and I mean, not him by himself, but uh, with NC State, they were 2-0 and against Duke, he, and he's improved drastically since then, and I, I mean, he's a heck of a player himself, but Georgetown, they really, they really didn't look good at all. I mean, okay, here we go. They were down 19 against uh, Ken Palm, number 254, Mount St. Mary's at home. Like, what was going on there? Then they lost at home the next game to Penn State. And Texas was real. They would, I think they were beating them by almost double digits in the first half. And then all of a sudden, it's almost like Georgetown found themselves. I mean, Coach K, he was talking about how um, he called Patrick Ewing not not a good friend, a great friend in, in K's exact words. And he said that Patrick was very frustrated with how the Georgetown team started out the season, and rightfully so, because you saw all the talent. I mean, they have guys that live for the moment. I mean, it, it always kind of... Depends. Are they just, are they just going to get up for the big games? Because that allows potential letdowns to happen. And I think they do have the type of guys that will just fight every game. But, I mean, they definitely came out ready for Georgetown and used the momentum of that Texas second half. I mean, a guy like James Akinjo, 
I mean, he he absolutely loves loves the big moment. I mean, Damian Lillard, I think, like tweeted out like Akinjo is the toughest point guard in the country, and you can see some of those characteristics that he brought to the table. So I think it was a good win over Georgetown. I think it's a team that is going to rise up the rankings, and I think it'll end up looking good. I mean, if you just want some people are really obsessed with rankings and seeding like already, even though it's kind of ridiculous. And so at this point, yeah, playing Texas would have been preferred just in terms in that sense that Texas was a much higher team. They would have been a top 50 team. I think Georgetown's still ranked like 60 or 70 right now. I think they'll get higher. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, when you don't play a, a whole ton of competitive non-conference games, I guess you can argue that Texas would have been better. But either way, I think just in terms of kind of the eye test, I guess, I would say Georgetown is a, uh, I would say it's a really impressive win uh, against a team that's going to continue to improve. And uh, all right, so before we start going down some of the facts, um, did you uh, see any of the Arizona State-UVA game? I did not. I actually had my cousin today, so we were watching – my cousin came over and so we were watching football and doing some stuff around my dad's house. So I did see the the score at the end of the game, which was must have been a real entertaining one to watch. Arizona State was up 38-30 with 11:36 left, and hey, 38 points, uh, less than halfway through the second half. I mean, that you might as well be like scoring a million against any other team. So 38, 11:36 left. The next point Arizona scored came six and a half minutes later. Like six and a half minutes later. Ugh. And uh, all right, so Virginia went on an 8-0 run in six and a half minutes, which might as well be just the most Virginia run in the history of Virginia or the history of Virginia under Tony Bennett. And they ended up winning 48-45. This, I mean, this Virginia team, I got to say, I mean, lacking really much offense and especially shooting. Uh, I mean, their, their, their defense is going to have to go next level, Virginia. And so far it is, and wow, they're going to be a te- <laughs> they're going to be a team that's talked about a lot because what for those who did have issues with the with the way Virginia has, I think there's they Virginia has still had a bunch of players who are, are really really good offensive players this year. They're lacking a little bit more, at least in the backcourt. It's going to be a tough watch, and I think they're going to frustrate some people. Hopefully, their perimeter guys can improve and. I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting team. The Georgia State game. I realized after we co- recorded the last pod, I was like, oh yeah, I, I covered everything. Then I was like, oh no, all of a sudden the day of the Georgia State game, I was like, all of a sudden I remembered the last season's horrific half court game three against Eastern Michigan, which pretty much made it obvious that the half court offense against zone would potentially be a big issue and how. No team had really zoned Duke yet this season. So I actually looked up Georgia State's defense and saw they zoned, they zoned only like 2% of the time, but they'd only actually played one game against a legit opponent. So the sample was too tiny to tell, and I kind of just said, like, this team was just wait and see. I mean, obviously they were a team that you would worry about because they haven't shot very well, to put it lately. So I actually tweeted that I regretted not mentioning going against zone on the pod. Uh, basically, so I at least had some sort of evidence that I hadn't completely looked past it, even though it's I know no one on Duke Twitter would care. But I, I mean, I do regret not mentioning zone. And then, hey, guess what? Duke played 
Georgia State, who zoned Duke a lot in the second half. And then Cal, obviously, with they don't have quite the talent, so they have to play zone. So Duke did face a bunch of zone. I thought they handled it pretty well, mostly because I thought, I mean, Vernon Carey was just, I mean, unbelievable. I talk about his footwork a lot, and he was just the man against zone. So one thing I did write about, I got to the website a little bit later than I thought. I actually had writer's block which was really annoying, but I eventually did get to writing before the 2K Classic, and I talked about how Duke just controlled the entire time of possession during the last 10 minutes of Georgia State, and Georgia State just lost all the rhythm and transition and ability to rebound once they went into a zone, so Duke just controlled the pace. I mean, it was Trey and Vernon in the first half, then Trey on his own personal run early in the second, and then just in terms of time of possession, it's like keep away, like an NFL where they just, I mean, it used to be, they barely, they don't do as much running in the NFL now. But I think the time of possession, the last 10 possessions, Duke was like 350 seconds or something, and Georgia State was like 100. They just never got the ball. Duke averaged like 30 seconds every possession at least, a lot of the time longer. I mean, that's what it was just kind of keep away at that point and taking away all of Georgia State's rhythm. Georgia State, that's kind of how that went along with just Trey was unbelievable. There's, a, there's only so much you can say about how good he was, but he, he really was incredible. And it's, it's worth repeating, even though now we're obviously a while past that game. All right, with Georgetown, the feeling to me, Kansas kind of felt like first game randomness. Georgia State felt like the first like kind of true competitive opener. And Georgetown felt almost like an NCAA tournament second round game, like round of 32 game. I would say the competition has definitely picked up. Kansas, although they are obviously a higher-ranked team, that, was, that game just involved too much randomness. So Georgetown, I mean, it was really intense, and I thought that was good for Duke. I also think it's worth mentioning the kind of the time schedule. Georgetown played at 7 o'clock on Thursday night. Duke played at 9.30. So Duke went to sleep pretty damn late. And then there was a game the next day at 7. So, I mean, don't think that doesn't affect these guys. I think Coach K was talking about how, like, the, the Duke players, they like, took naps in the afternoon the next day just because, I mean, it's so odd. The, uh, the early season tournaments and the conference tournaments, that's really the only time you'll ever play uh, two games, possibly in the span of 24 hours. So it is, it is weird, and it's something these guys, especially the young guys, they're not going to be used to. I mean, even everyone else, I mean, it only happens, like, as I said, twice a year in tournaments, uh, conference tournaments, and preseason tournaments. So that does take effect. Another thing, Fridays. While some of us may enjoy watching Duke on a Friday, others may not. It really rarely occurs in the ACC season. There's not a lot of ton, there's not a ton of uh, kind of TGIFs with Duke this season, though. It actually begins with games on the first five Fridays, ending with December sixth in the always fun Blacksburg against Virginia Tech. So it is interesting how, I mean, it's literally five straight Fridays. All right, KFAX. There's, there's a lot of these. I mean, everyone I think or most know it was his 218th win as the, as the coach of a number one ranked team, which passed John Wooden. K is uh, 218 and 134 now. Wooden was 217 and 11. Competition levels much better these days. It was also the 100th win, exactly, and 20th in-season tournament title 
under K. He's 118 there. So, I mean, that I think that went a little more under the radar. Uh, so, I mean, they, I believe they only play once, one a season. So, in 40 seasons at Duke, I mean, it's average of obviously um, every other year. Um, they are 6-2 and two in the 2K Classic. They were actually swept in 1999. Uh, they won in 2008, 2015, and 2020. It's odd because I looked up on the official Duke notes, which reads they're actually 12-2 and two in the event. I'm not sure how that number was reached because they only play two games each time. I mean, they won both games in 2008, 2015, and 2020, so that's six. They were swept in 1999. So I don't know how they got 12, but who knows. They are, but as far as I can see, they are 6-2 and two in the 2K Classic, three tournament wins. Uh, they're 3-0 and oh this season, 34-10 and 10 overall under K at Madison Square Garden, which is his most wins at non-Cameron indoor venues besides, I think, only Greensboro Coliseum. And the, the other records he's achieved, I mean, it's kind of remarkable. They don't play a ton there, but you get the most wins as the number one team. Then 2011, if you remember, that's when he got uh, win 903, which was the most in D1 history, which passed Bobby Knight. And then 2015 against St. John's, it was his 1,000th overall win as a head coach. So it's uh, it's pretty cool that he's had three like huge monumental achievements in terms of uh, win records um, at Madison Square Garden. Last thing, just kind of an overall... I, I mentioned this, I believe, in the season preview. I actually got the number of years wrong, so I, I deleted it. But I do think it is worth repeating because it's just something interesting. And I, I kind of quizzed you on it last time. You, you you did find it interesting. I think now – well, I'll ask if you can remember. All right, in the last 11 seasons before this one, so going 2009 to 2019, there has been – Five seasons in which a Duke team went the entire regular season without being ranked number one in the AP and coaches polls. And a reminder to everyone, the final polls are released before the conference tournaments. So again, there's been five seasons when a Duke team went the entire regular season without being ranked number one in the AP and coaches polls. Do you remember what years I said those Duke teams were? I don't. I don't remember. I remember you asking me that. I don't remember exactly which ones they were. Okay, so in 11 years, the first three that I'll mention, 2012, 2014, and 2016, those teams, it's kind of obvious why. Those were just simply bad defensive teams. That's all that comes down to. The others are interesting because the others, 2010 and 2015, championship teams. So it's probably in the one-and-done type of era, it's the three teams that have been just kind of the lower – the the teams that struggled most at defense, and then the two teams that were the champions. I guess one, 2010, you could say that was before, one and done. But even so, it's just really interesting because now we see this Duke team is number one. And, uh, yeah, so there's only been five. This is not going to fit into that category of never having been ranked number one, but you just never know how it'll turn out. Let's see, opponent turnover percentage at MSG. The last four games, it's nuts. Or just turnovers and then turnover percentage. Texas Tech, 24 turnovers, 29.3 turnover percentage. Kansas, 28 turnovers, 35% turnover percentage. Cal, 15, 22.7%. And Georgetown, 24, 30.4%. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, when Duke plays at MSG, it's been, let, let's be honest, it's been some ugly games. I, I'm not even sure whether to call it forced 
I mean, some of them have been kind of the other teams kind of throwing it away. But still, I mean, that's a really impressive number, and that's played a major factor in what's going on. When when I with these pods, I'm I'm gonna try like I'll mention some basic numbers like this, like I'm going to real quickly. But I'm gonna try to do more numbers based stuff with the with what I post in, on the website and kind of use this more as a narrative. But I do think there is some stuff that is definitely worth mentioning. Like this, the three game stretch of offensive rebounding, it's just been absurd. 55.6%, 53.5%, 46.3%. and That's insane offensive rebounding numbers. And they've needed it because, well, I'll also add in that uh, absurd free throw rate, 397 47.7%, and 44.6%. So in these three games, they haven't shot well. Like there's really no way around that. And they haven't been good in transition. So to just get extra chances... I think that's really, really been huge. So even if you miss close in, you, you grab it, you get another chance, and it uses clock, absurd free throw rate. I mean, it's just the same thing. So I think it's a big deal, as well as a three-game stretch. Defensive rebounding has been impressive as well. Um, shutting down the opponent from three-point range in the second half. I mean, Georgia State was, was 5 of 10 first half, 0 of 2 in the second. Georgetown was 4 of 7 in the first half, 2 of 9 in the second. So I think uh, that's been huge. I mean, Omer Yurtsevin was kind of doing what he wanted in the second half, but as Coach K said after, they were twos, not threes. It was, it was better than threes, I guess, if you want to say that. But there was a broken streak. Uh, after 17 straight games holding an opponent below 50% shooting, Georgetown did shoot 50.9%. Do you remember the last game, or can you, can you guess the last game you would think that an opponent shot 50% against Duke? Syracuse. It was actually the Zion shoe game when he blew through the shoe. Um, that's, Carolina uh, game at home. Yeah. yeah, Georgetown. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, UNC shot 50% there. And if you and anyone who's just says like, oh, it was just because of the Zion shoe thing, NC State actually shot above 50% the game before that. Yeah, that was that was the last time. And I mean, Georgetown missed their last three shots, only made two of the last eight. It still shot over 50%. So, I mean, there there are some worries there. Duke. I will say this. Duke was the beneficiary of some interesting calls. I mean, it would have been interesting to see the Hoyas with Yurt 7. Uh, in the first half, he picked up some fouls. I, I'm not including him in the kind of controversial calls, but there were some that really stuck out. I mean, there's one on McClung, which just shouldn't have yeah. been called Mac McClung. There was... It was like a 50-50 ball. Yeah, I mean, there shouldn't have been a foul. Yeah. I'm not saying it should have been on Trey, but... And then there was one on, which was called a foul. I, th- I think it was like a... See the shooting foul or a rebound foul, which was just insane. That's when Patrick Ewing just lost his mind then. And to be honest, I it's tough to blame him. I'm not saying that made the result what it was, but I think it is definitely worth pointing out. And especially with Georgetown, who, yeah, I mean, Mac McClung and Omer Yurtsev, and they made a big difference. You saw how Yurtsevin made such a big impact. I mean, I don't even think he scored a point in the first half. Then he just went off in the second, and Vernon Carey, he, he struggled a bit against your seven's physicality. Now I will say you responded with the big rotation. You, you liked how Duke uses a big rotation. I want to, I want to hear your thoughts after this, because it's, I think, I don't know if it was obvious while the game was going on, but K actually tightened up the rotation. I'm not saying it's going to continue on, but for that one game, 
it was interesting. You got Trey, 39 minutes, Wendell Moore, 36 minutes, uh, Vernon Carey, 28, Cassius Stanley, 27, and Jack White, 33. Basically, it didn't leave a lot of minutes for the others. So were you surprised, or if you didn't know, does that surprise you to hear that there were, well, let's say one, two, three, four, that five guys got so many minutes? Did you think it was more kind of spread out? And do you think there's anything to take away from that? I feel, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like he just kind of wings it in the moment, you know, like whatever, whatever seems to be working at the time. I think he just, I wasn't, I was not, I don't know. I, I felt like, um, I don't know. I just didn't feel like Jack White played. I, f- I feel like Joey Baker played way more than Jack White did for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe but he's going to range it back to probably seven, eight guys at this point. And I think we move at the beginning of that. I think the biggest thing that most people will notice is the fact that Jack White did. I mean, you said Joey Baker. I think he only played two minutes in the second half. So it was pretty much all Jack White. I mean, after about right. five minutes of Baker in the first half, I mean, I'm sorry, five minutes of Hurt in the first half, it was pretty much all Jack White. And, I mean, he's definitely someone who that, again, it's just another Jack White kind of glue guy game. You look at his stats. All right, in the second half, 18 minutes, two points, 0 of 1 shooting, one rebound, one assist, and three turnovers. If you're just going to look at that and say, and judge by stats, it's like, why is he playing? Because you know what? That's what that's what Duke needed at the time. Right now with this team, he is someone who knows where to be at all times, and they weren't desperate enough to need someone who gives a lot more offense. Later in the season, and this is something I will talk about, I think that'll be something to keep in mind about how much offense can be provided in that situation. But right now it's the same thing as Jack White last year where he just provides, you can trust him. I mean, and that's a huge thing right now with trust. I think with Hurt, the physicality is definitely an issue against some of these teams. I mean, even against Georgia State, I mean, you you can see it. The physicality does have an impact. So maybe he can get used to it. Maybe he can adjust. But right now, if he's not making shots, you you got to realize where's his impact going to come from. So, so that's why, I mean, this team, especially as centered as they are around defense, you can see why Jack White might, that might have been just the better choice at the time. I'm not saying it's going to consistently be the correct choice, but you can see why right now it made, it made sense. At least it made a lot of sense, especially with how Georgetown came out in the game. I mean, they, they were just hitting on all cylinders. So Jack White kind of helped shut that down more. The, the other minutes, I mean, I mentioned, like, let's see. I mean, Jav, like with Vernon Carey, when he got in foul trouble and Javin got some more minutes, but I think Vernon Carey, he is going to be the guy who obviously will get and deserves a lion's share of the minutes. But we did see, I mean, as great as he was against Georgia State and Cal, and in the first half when Omer Yurt 7 was out, he didn't. He didn't look quite uh, the same with Omer Yurt seven back in. So we've seen him be able to dominate against guys who he's just bigger than. The question is going to be how will he do against guys that can pose a physical matchup against him? And to be honest, there won't be too many guys who can this season. So I, I think there there won't be a lot 
of times that will even be a worry. But those, there's going to be enough, especially when you enter the ACC. So I think it's kind of wait and see with him to see how he does against consistent physicality. But, I mean, against the Georgia States, against the Cows, he, he was fantastic. I mean, I called it uh, weekend at Vernie's. He, he was doing so well. What did he have? A, uh, he put up like 31 and 10 in like 23 minutes. Against yeah, Cal. it was like 22 minutes or something like that. Yeah, something ridiculous <laughs> like that. I mean, that was absurd. I mean, that's basically all Duke did was just kind of keep keep hitting him at the nail, the free throw line against that zone. And, I mean, it was wild. He almost looked like a bit like Justice Winslow at that point in time, and yet it's probably the easy lefty comp. I mean, he was really making plays. And I don't know. I'll ask you, do you feel like having a father who played in the NFL – do you think that helped with his footwork? Because, I mean, a guy who's as big as him, it's really been impressive how good his footwork has been this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that him in the paint, I mean, he looks he looks extremely comfortable in the paint. He looks extremely comfortable in the basket. He looks he, basket and, and, and fit around the rim. So I feel that, I don't know, maybe the – it helped, you know, from from having a father who was a professional athlete, but that kid's talented, man. All right, another thing definitely worth mentioning is the insane differential of Cassius Stanley. First half to second half, Cassius Stanley. Um, and again, I don't want to get too stat oriented, but real quick, I will say, first half, Cassius Stanley on the season, thirty-five possessions, twenty-two points. That is a uh, points per possession. Not great. Second half, 39 possessions, 62 points. It's 1.58 points per possession. It is insane. The difference in Cassius Stanley, first half to second half. I mean, I think, and then he just goes off every single game it's happened. The, the, only, the lowest he's been in the, in the first half, or I mean, I'm sorry, in the second half against anyone, is I think Georgia State when he scored one point per possession, but either way, well, what, what do you think it is? Do you think it's the, uh, he's from, he's from Cali West coast time. He's, uh, still kind of experience, experiencing some, uh, West coastness right there. Or like, what, what, what do you think it is? Because I will add, it doesn't affect his defense at all. Defense. He's just, he's an animal. I mean, there's no let up at any time. This is just based on whether he makes or misses shots and how many opportunities he gets on offense. So what do you think, if anything, is the cause of this? I don't know. A lot of, a lot of the, there's just players who play better in the second half. It's weird. It's weird how that happens. Some, some guys are come out quick out of the gate or those type of players. He seems to, you know, what you did mention is defense. Nothing, nothing changes his defense, which is very important, which you could tell, He's always playing hard. I don't know. He just seems to maybe do a little more facilitating or delegating in the first half. And then when he's called upon, I mean, and to me, to be honest with you, his shot looks pretty good to me. He looks like a pretty confident shooter. Um, and it's not, I don't know. It's just it's some guys just get hot and in different times are more comfortable the more they warm up. And, and Cassius seems to be a go-to second-half guy, which, which I'm not arguing right now because those guys are – those guys are much needed. Yeah, it, it really seems to come in bursts with him. Like, he'll score just a whole bunch of points 
in like a couple of possessions. So, and also, a, not a ton of it is coming off the dribble right now. So I think one thing is he's almost like a uh, kind of Bruce Bowen, but the athleticism is like on a different type of level with the corner threes. He's just, he's incredible at the corner three on both sides. And then, I mean, there was a play where he, I think he, uh, it was either dumped it inside or he threw an alley up to someone and it was like a loose ball and he, he picked it up and he was like at the rim and it happened in a span of like two seconds. I mean, just the athleticism you can't teach, but it's the same thing I mentioned with Zion last year, where it's also about anticipation and it's just basketball IQ. No matter how athletic you are, that doesn't equate to what he's doing. And I think too many are using that immediately as just, oh, he's an athlete. Every time anybody talks about Cassius Stanley, it's immediately his, uh, his, his vertical record. And that's not what is causing him or that's not the reason he's doing so well it is a reason but the reason he's doing so well right now he's just a damn good basketball player and he's a lot further along in his development than you would have expected and similar to Zion I think it shows he has great habits in terms of some guys who are super athletic not that I would know but they, they rely on their athleticism growing up, so they, they don't kind of focus in all the time. Cassius and Zion, they share the quality of they don't rely on it. They use it, but they don't rely on that athleticism, which I find really, really impressive. So I thought that was a, a huge deal right there. And All right, so you said that there is even qualities in terms of like they don't rely on anyone too much, but... In the last three games, there has been a huge half from three different players each time. With Georgia State, Trey Jones scored 17 in the first half. With Cal, Vernon Carey scored 21 in the first half. With uh, Georgetown, Cassius Stanley scored 20 in the second half. I think it would have been hard to predict that you would have had these monster halves by anyone. I mean, it was supposed to be so even. I mean, Trey Jones, he hadn't even, I think... He hadn't scored more than, I think, 13, except for, like, I, I wrote it down. I wrote it in the piece on my website. Maybe, like, I think it's less than 10 games still. And it's, it's, the funny thing is he he's only scored over 13 in November and March. He's never done it in between. So, I mean, it's also I, another thing. Colorado State is the only game that hasn't been in a tournament or event type of atmosphere, that he hasn't done it. Everything else has been in that type. Like, I think Maui last year he did against San Diego State and against Gonzaga. And then he did it against uh, Indiana, ACC Big Ten. And then in March he did in the ACC tournament and against Virginia Tech in the NCAA tournament. Now this year he did it in the uh, Champions Classic and the 2K Classic. And I believe Georgia State officially counted as the uh, as part of the 2K Classic, so that counts. So Colorado State's actually the only game where he scored over 13 that hasn't been in a tournament or event type of atmosphere. So hey, he lives for the moment, man. I mean, I mean, good for him. Obviously, he's going to be doing it plenty. I would assume um, this season as well in non-tournament atmospheres, non-event atmospheres. But it's just interesting to kind of look back now and see this guy, he, he, he gets buckets in big games. So that definitely matters, especially for a guy who totally reworked his shot. I actually, 
while I had writer's block, I was trying to come up with, uh, I was trying to fin finish up the, a Trey Jones feature. And I actually, I have clips of all of his jumpers, put them, put them all in a video. And it's just remarkable how when you watch it, he's totally changed his form. I mean, it's just something that I noticed a bit, but it just becomes super obvious. Even like watching, going back and watching the Virginia Tech game last season, which I did on purpose because, hey, it's the only game he made shots. So I, I didn't just want to try to focus on the negative. But it, I think the point, at least for what I was looking for, was it's not about makes or misses. It's about the actual motion, how he's shooting. And it was just, I mean, the way he was shooting against Virginia Tech, the motion, the release, it was just unreliable. So it didn't matter that he made a lot that game. I mean, he was still the guy that everyone had left. I mean, he was guarded by Taco Fall against US, against UCF, which is basically being not guarded um, on the perimeter. So this is a guy that totally reworked his shot. I can't even imagine how many hours he spent in the gym reworking the shot. And the jumper really looked fantastic. Obviously against Cal and against Georgetown, not as much, which I will talk about why I, f I feel, but the jumper was fantastic. And if anyone actually wants a video, I, I again, I have all the made jumpers. I, have to, I did another one with Mist, but I doubt anyone wants that. But I have all the made jumpers. I put, I put some actually music behind it. And now it's pointless because there's been other games and he's had a couple of off games, but it does still exist. So if anyone wants it, email Duke Basketball Corner at Gmail, and uh, I'll be happy to send that over because it just it does clarify his, the change in his motion and yeah I, I would say that kind of sums up the overall stuff but the Duke shooting I mean they started out 421 from the field ended up 5 of 26 so yeah I mean it's definitely makes you worried and they they are not getting live ball transition they stink in transition when they do the bigs are struggling at the rim the the other guys really are, they're not getting to the rim at all. So there are concerns. So that's why I just kind of, who knows how it'll go, but I think it's definitely worth just appreciating the moment right now. Yeah, I, I think it is worth going back to try because I think that was big. Why do you think Duke's offense struggled early on versus Georgetown? Uh, <clears throat> I thought we got some pretty good looks. I think, you know, couple of them were forced. We took some forced jump shots, and I, I think a lot of it had to do with how hot Georgetown came out. You know, Georgetown came out, shot extremely well, which, you know, I believe we got down around 10 was the most we got down the whole game. But um, I don't know. We just – the offense just didn't look crisp, and they looked like they were trying to find a couple players with some sort of uh, um, rhythm and – Wendell Moore looked really good, but they just, they just, their half court were uh, great. They were close. So I think it was a matter of, I was tired watching the uh, Thursday night that late and then watching it at that time. So I can't imagine playing in that game. So just, their offense looked off, but once they found some sort of rhythm, they seemed to seem to harness, you know, that and, and and keep. They just kept moving to where they were getting better shots and, and getting closer to the basket, and you know, ultimately getting Georgetown in foul trouble. The two plays before what I'm about to say, Duke actually scored. It was, 
I don't remember what order, but it was a Joey Baker did what he has become really, really good at in terms of uh, shot fake, one bounce, rise and fire. He scored on that. And then uh, Wendell Moore slashed in and scored on a drive there. So they had actually scored two straight possessions, but still nothing was going on in the sets. And with Duke's offense, Trey needs the ball. I mean, the biggest thing when, when going back, reviewing all the games and watching every clip, he needs the ball and he needs to dribble and he needs more time. I mean, the NBA actually keeps stats on like amount of time dribbling. I'm not going to like go, I'm not going to ask for anything that deep, but the bottom line is Trey needs to be a point guard and he needs point guard action. It's the same thing I've been saying since the beginning of this season, something Trey didn't get. I've loved how he's gotten continuous pick and roll against Cal. They play a zone, and it's harder. It's not impossible, but it's a lot harder to uh, generate pick and roll. And obviously giving it to Vernon Carey and at the free throw line at the nail, that was the better option. And Trey, just being a catch-and-shoot guy, well, he has proven much better this season. It's still not something where it's natural for him. Against Georgetown, though, I think it's really interesting how right away Patrick Ewan called the first Georgetown possession – was a set with, I think that was a horn set, with action to free up Akinjo and get him going. Duke didn't do that. I mean, they did score in the first possession to carry, but still early on in the game after that, they didn't do anything to get Trey going. And when Trey's not going, it's going to be, I don't want to say lucky, but it's going to be fortunate if, if anyone else gets going because they feed off him. They feed off that energy. The first and only PNR pick and roll of the first half came at with 3.15 left on an extended horn set, which led to a Joey Baker corner three. I mean, this is, it's not rocket science. I'm not asking for, like, crazy complicated action. Just something so that this team that doesn't have a lot of guys that can create off the dribble. I mean, there's, there's Stanley, there's O'Connell, and I said, I've been saying over and over, be patient with Wendell Moore. Because he's the guy that you just have to live with his mistakes now. He, the talent is there, and in terms of his ability is there, you, you can kind of project that. It's not just talent. It's you can see him learning as each game passes. And, yeah, he's off balance a lot dribbling, but he's, he's getting better. I mean, it's just the bottom line is Duke is not going to be a team that you can just kind of spread out and say, hey, go get a bucket like you have in the past. So I think once that play, that set came at 315, I think that's when they got more energy. And it's not tough to figure out why. It's because Trey Jones was once again controlling the offense. He was doing what he had did, what, what he has done most of the season. When you face a zone, that's different. But when you face man, Trey Jones needs to be the guy. He's not always going to score a whole bunch of points, and who knows how the assists will go. Those are stats, which, I mean, it depends on different variabilities. But when he started controlling the offense, everything picked up. Everything. And, and I think one thing that helped, especially, was the fact that Wendell Moore, he replaced O'Connell um, uh, on Saturday. So I think he added another guy who can create off the dribble, and he scored 17. He had he had seven turnovers, but you could just see all that talent. Ignore Dockage. I mean, Dockage loved him, but Dockage just it seems like he picks guys before the game and then just uses to try to use confirmation bias with everything. Like he was loving O'Connell 
and everything O'Connell did was perfect. And O'Connell, meanwhile, really wasn't doing much positive. Um, so it's interesting how Dockage does it. But I, I think Wendell Moore, you could just see he provided some of that playmaking. So, I mean, you, again, you only have Cassius and O'Connell and Wendell Moore who are going to be guys that can, without any help, without any action, they can create for themselves and for other guys. And with O'Connell's defensive struggles, it's tough to have him in there right now. So you're, so you're looking at Cassius, who he's still learning, and it's Wendell Moore. So help Trey. Help him. And I think giving him that help was huge. So I think that's what really changed everything. So in terms of how Duke struggled at the start, then they struggled at the end, you can see Duke kind of went back to uh, the, the old thing that Kay loves, which... I have always, it's made my head explode, that kind of, I don't want to call it stall ball, although I don't really know what else to call it, where they kind of hold it, and then at the end of the clock, somebody just goes and tries to make a play. And again, with this team, that's going to be a lot harder. If you rely on that, if you work clock and you don't have a really good play drawn up, I'm not sure how often they're going to be able to convert on that. So that's just me in terms of what I saw and what, what I think in terms of why they struggled at the start and at the finish. Um, I, I will say that on my pre-2K Classic thoughts that I wrote, I mean, they struggled really badly from the free throw line and three-point line against teams who they didn't beat by 50. I mean, they I don't think they shot over like 60% from the free throw line against any team. And the, the three-pointers, I mean, they were just awful. So Duke, they did shoot better against Georgetown first half, two of seven, second half, four of six from the three-point line. And besides... Uh, Besides Carey, besides Vernon Carey for four of ten from the free throw line, Duke was 17 of 19 from the free throw line. So that's really good signs. The fact that they were converting free throws and three pointers in a close game against a legit team. So that's that's something I really like there. Um, have I have I already gone over the different starting lineups and that I think I have and the offensive fouls? I believe I have. I actually realized after the pod that I didn't mention either of those things. So, little post-recording edit here or add-on. Duke versus Cal in the semifinal of the 2K Classic. Wendell Moore replaced Alex O'Connell. That was the fourth different starting lineup combination in six games, and the fifth in seven, including the two exhibitions, with Trey Jones and Vernon Carey being the only constants. The other thing, in terms of the offensive fouls, that was brutal. <laughs> that was, uh, I mean, I'm not saying it was correct or incorrect. It was just brutal. And the first half, both teams were called for five offensive fouls. I mean, Duke picked up three in the last 90 seconds. They picked up uh, 129, 102, and 34 seconds left. So, yeah, that was very interesting. You don't see... Uh, too uh, many halves with uh, a total of 10 offensive fouls, five on each team. It made the uh, three in the second half seem like uh, no, no worries at all. Is there anything else that you took away from uh, Duke Georgetown, Duke Cal, Duke Georgia State, or should I move on to the last thing, which uh, it's kind of a bit of a projection? You can move on to, uh, yeah, you can move on to, the uh, Cal game wasn't much of a, not much can go into that Cal game. Control from the tip. Um, 
Yeah, I thought Vernon Carey did really well against the zone. Um, but, I mean, yeah, Cal was just kind of outmatched right there. And I think Duke kind of took care of business. I mean, it wasn't pretty, but they, they were fine. All right, so here here's my last thing. And, again, it's, it's still early, but I do feel like when, when you think about the five guys who could possibly be the best options on the court at the same time in big games against legit competition, who can provide the best possible lineup? It's just interesting to go down. Who who are the five guys who you think would make the most sense to have on the court? And I, I know it depends on who you're playing against and all that, but just kind of in a general sense. One more post-recording edit. I just wanted to uh, clarify, since this is a projection, I wanted to be clear at exactly what I am projecting. I am saying who could slash should, in my opinion, be developed into the go-to lineup for Duke in March. So it's not necessarily who would be the five best, most productive on the court right now. It's who I feel deserves time together because it's who I think will, in the long run, be the best option for Duke to have the best chance of uh, winning games and who will who will be the most productive. Five guys would be Trey, Stanley, Moore, White, and Carey. Would be my five. Would you have said Wendell Moore before uh, this past weekend? No. No, I would not. I would I, I, I will I will call you out uh the I think like Kansas game I was like be patient with more and you were like not a fan not a fan <laughs> all of a sudden he starts getting buckets nah, you're a fan well well no I th- I think a lot of it is I think a lot of it is like the eye test too like he looked he looked the part like his shot looked good he he looked like he had a little more bounce getting to the basket he gets after it on defense so you know I was also li- li- don't get me I get trashed by my friends all the time. I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. I was not a Lamar supporter. I was not a huge Lamar fan. I was a big Flacco guy. And now I'm waiting for my jersey to come in the mail because I'm going to a Ravens game and it's a Lamar Jackson jersey. So just gotta I'm an emotional guy. You got you know, it's you gotta earn my respect, I guess. I mean, I don't know who I am to even demand respect, but he just has proven to me like you can just see it like like he has that ability and so and I would never have said that if you even asked me the Georgia State game. It was one hundred percent the Cal game and the Georgetown game. I think he played like four minutes against Georgia State or something like that. Or maybe that was the second half, but either way he didn't he didn't play much. But I think that's what makes it interesting. I'm not saying one way is better than the other. I just think the way I do it is much more rare in terms of seeing things and projecting forward. And Wendell Moore was never a doubt in terms of what he would be. You can see it. And it's not just about talent. It's about kind of watching and and projecting it and seeing how it's going to develop. Some guys, they, they come in and they're super talented, but you just you don't see it. And Wendell Moore, there's no doubt. And for me, I think this is actually a little bit earlier. And I still think there will be plenty of ups and downs. But I do think he is someone who is going to be crucial for Duke this season because of what I mentioned before about what I about how he can create without needing help. And I think, I mean, his shot looking better. I think that three-pointer, that's great. 
don't don't count on it because um, it's still a it's a pretty ugly motion and it's you, you don't even want to mess with somebody's motion and release in season that's something he's just going to have to work on um, off season so you just got to kind of live and die with whatever happens um, with his shot but I mean if he can make a couple all the better but in terms of what he can be all right here's where I feel like he could be the most important because. I don't blame you, and I can understand in certain situations why you would say Jack White would be the guy, and I think there will be matchups down the road. But if you're really looking at what's going to be the case late February and March and hopefully April, here's something which I couldn't imagine I would say (laughs) at all. I think it might actually be – what? Say it. I know what you're going to say. Just say it. I'm waiting for you to say it. Dude, pl- play the Baker, man. Play the Baker. Baker at three. Baker. Wendell Moore at four. Like, you don't think Wendell Moore can play four? Hell with you, anyone who doesn't. When, it, when it, The first thing I said about Wendell Moore, the first thing I ever said after watching him, is he was recruited by Chris Carwell. Chris Carwell guarded Tim Duncan. Chris Carwell, no fear, can guard anyone, physical, love it. Ver, like, Wendell Moore, stick him down low at the four, don't even worry about it, man. I, like, I don't think he'll have any issues. I mean, obviously, there'll be somewhere, just height, you can't, you can't defend if somebody's, like, right. a, lot, a lot taller. But, but I would have no worries about his physicality. The biggest issue I have with Wendell Moore on defense right now is Coach K, which is remarkable, trusts him so much to freelance on defense that there have been multiple threes in every single Duke game, especially in the first half, when Wendell Moore is like halfway across the court. like, And his man is just wide open. I'm like, what are you doing? And again, it's the same thing with him on offense. You just got to trust him and let him kind of learn. And I love this because Coach K, it's so rare that he lets players like that just learn from experience and play through mistakes, and he's doing it. And it pissed everyone off, I guarantee, to see Wendell Moore make mistakes over and over. But it's just so good, and he will keep getting better. Play him at the four. Play Joey Baker at the three. Okay, Joey Baker, man, you can see – I mean, first of all, his enthusiasm is just crazy infectious. Joey slapped the floor Baker. I mean – I, th- I think I actually asked you in the season preview who's going to be the first player to slap the floor. You, who'd you predict? You predicted, uh, who did you predict? I can't remember. I, I don't know. I, I felt like it, I thought I said. Um, I know I predicted Goldwire. Yeah, I, I think I, I said it would be uh, like Jack White or somebody like that would be the one to do it. But yeah, I did I not mean, say Joey Baker. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did not say Joey Baker. I don't think it was even possible to imagine it would be Joey Baker, and yet it was against Georgia State. All right, like, obviously this team, they, they, they have some limitations, and one of those big limitations is just an outside shooter. And last year's team, it was pretty much you couldn't depend on O'Connell to play defense, so it was just tough to give him consistent minutes. And then it was just, it was just really hoping that Reddish could just somehow start making them. And right now O'Connell, he's struggling. I'm like, look, I'm not I'm not anti O'Connell. Like, it's just when I watch him, I didn't see it. And then the results don't show it. And it's I mean, the sample size is beyond big enough. And so at this point, I hate to be that guy who's like, 
until they do it, then I won't believe. But I, I, do, I do, and I do feel like he will put up important numbers in important situations this year. But I just haven't seen anything leading me to believe that he can be a consistent guy um, with his shot or his defense. I mean, if he gets backdoored again, my head will explode. Joey Baker, he actually hasn't been that bad on defense when you really watch him closely. Like, not at all. And on offense, I mean, besides that, I mean, again, the, the shot fake dribble rise and fire is just beautiful. Beautiful. It's picture perfect. And just then his three-point shot, that catch and shoot, that's, I mean, that's when I asked you in the season preview, who shoots for, when somebody releases a shot from three-point land? Who on this team shoots and you and you think before anything it's going in? You just have a feeling it's going in. I said nobody. You said O'Connell, which is I, I don't know if it was hope or just he thought, but either way it's fine. Joey Baker, I get that feeling now, and I, that's not an overreaction. It's just how it is. And if he starts if he starts missing all the time, it, whatever. I'll still like when he shoots. It's different than Cam Reddish and it's different than O'Connell when I watch him. It's. It's it's just looks so much better, and I believe it's going in. And someone and I don't think he's going to kind of play, go crazy and try to create too much off the dribble. I think he knows his role, and I think there is room to improve. And I couldn't have imagined that he would be someone who I'm starting to feel really confident. I mean, when Cal played zone, like the first thing I thought of was hey, put Baker in. Like, there's just, like, immediately put Baker in, and Coach K really didn't. I mean, he did for a little bit, and Baker hit a couple shots, and that's why I'm really trying to watch him all the time on defense after the game's over review because I'm, I'm thinking, like, if I hadn't done that, is it that Coach K doesn't trust him? Because thinking about Baker, he absolutely has struggled um, last year and then early this year on defense. He's, get, he's getting better, and, man, that guy tries so hard. And I know trying is whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying give him a ribbon. He's having successful defensive possessions. Teams are not attacking him. So I'm not seeing anything on defense outside of occasional lapses, which would make me think Coach K just doesn't trust him. It's just a matter of I want to see him get consistent minutes against quality opponents and just see how he does. So that's me projecting what I've seen forward into what I feel could be a very could be the most effective lineup at the end of the year. So uh, there will be times when Jack White would be maybe a better option, but I think, yeah, st stick, stick Wendell at the four. So I would agree with your choice of four in terms of uh, uh, Trey, Cassius, uh, Wendell Moore at the four, uh, Baker at the three, and Carey at the five. Yeah, I, th I think, well, actually, no. I mean, you had uh, Jack White probably at the four. So I would replace him with Baker at the three, moving Wendell Moore over to the four. So any thoughts on that? No, I like that lineup. I think, like you said, it's, it's a lot of it is matchup dependent. You know what I mean? So if you want more offense or you want to make it have a different look or make us a little more maybe dynamic in terms of – some offense or whatever, then obviously Baker makes more sense. If you want a little more traditional size or not size, but a little more traditional hard normals, more type of basketball, then obviously you, you could plug Jack White in there. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think right now you just, you look at Jack White on offense, teams are laying off him. Opponents are laying off him. So, I mean, you know, that's going to have an effect. So 
if the defense can still be successful, then I would say, yeah, play Baker more. I mean, right now, I mean, I mentioned before the defense, and this will be something I do write about because I, I am going to write like I'm going to write something which. I mean, I had this whole thing written about the Georgetown game, and I'm just like, I'd rather kind of just talk about it all on the pod and focus in on certain things to write about. I mean, they're not getting out in transition. They're not creating turnovers anyway, live ball turnovers. So I think that's the most interesting thing right now for a team that wanted to get out and run as much as possible. They're running less and less and less. And when they run, they're not doing well. Uh, I, I, will, I will just really quickly to go over the transition because I think it'll surprise a lot of people, especially when um, when you eliminate Central Arkansas or Carkansas, as I always say. Without Carkansas, and, and I'll say like uh, real quickly to go over Carkansas, that was 18 possessions, 29 points, 11 of 18 field goals, 1.61. That was, I mean, they were just, they were turning Central Arkansas over, scoring all the time. That was a very, that was a rarity this season. All right, so you eliminate that. So in the other five games, there's 84 possessions, 61 points, 24 of 66 field goals. They're shooting 36%. Out of 353 teams, they would be ranked number 341 in transition. That's terrible. And transition was what occurred most in their offense up until it just switched over. Now all of a, now the stats have gone down. Transition, I believe, is second most. But to to some of what they do in half court, I think it's a kind of. But yeah, I mean they were running nonstop before. Now they are not they are not running as much. And when they when they are, it's not working out as much. So that will be something where. Having Joey Baker in there for that catch-and-shoot three, that could help improve. I mean, when you think about how many possessions were lost when they would get out in transition and just miss a quick three, because I've mentioned when the biggest issue is running off of rebounds, defensive rebounds from opponent misses, chucking a three and missing. I mean, that's the mo- that's where they struggle the most in transition. When they get the live ball turnovers, they're not bad. It's when they get the rebounds and just really quickly shoot. And most of the time, it's a three-pointer. And I gave those stats. If you want to check the website, it's just awful. So Joey Baker could help there too. So I think Joey Baker could be someone, again, I just I, I couldn't have uh, predicted that possible. All right, so uh, any, anything else you want to add? No, no. I'm happy where we're at at this term, this point of the season excited to see you know how things start shaping out but this is a little more of an enjoyable team to watch than than i even envisioned coming into the season so yeah i mean and again with the with the transition stuff with the struggles at the uh at the rim i mean vernon carey real quick i'll say like he was six of 11 the past two games one of four against kansas at the rim a guy that big should be doing much better. I think he was like 15 for 15 in the other two games. So, I mean, that's that's Trey, Trey Jones, Cash Stanley. They weren't even getting to the rim the last two games. So that's something. I mean, the, all the transition stuff. Yes, it could be a concern in relying so much on offensive rebounds 
and all that stuff. Yes, there, it is a concern with this team, but that's why I just want to kind of appreciate the good as much as possible because I know there there are things which can point to pro, uh, problem areas in the future. So I'm trying to think of what can be the best possible situations like a Joey Baker, and if, if Wendell Moore keeps improving, where Duke can just find a way. Because it won't always, I mean, I keep repeating, it won't always be pretty. It's just about getting the W. All right, so uh, who do they, they have next? Uh, I know they have Winthrop. They have somebody in Winthrop. Um, check they play uh, Stephen F. Austin. Stephen Steve. F. Austin, they play Tuesday night. Yeah, Stephen F. Austin, they are 263 in Kempom, then Winthrop, 176. So uh, hopefully, I mean, there aren't, I mean, after Georgia State, if I don't know about a team, I'm not going to say anything will be assumed or anything like that because Georgia State, they, they, they impressed. I mean, I think they actually played Georgetown as well, like right before, uh, right right after Duke played Georgia State and right before Georgetown played Duke. So I think Georgia State was beating Georgetown um, for a while in that game. Georgia State was pretty impressive. And just to, one more th- I just want to again recognize how Cassius Stanley, how hard he plays on defense no matter what's going on with his offense. I mean, <laughs> I will say, like, please don't take this the wrong way. I mean, I kind of just let you go with it on when you said Cassius Stanley, you think he's already better than Rodney Hood or whatever you said. Like, I'm not to that level. When I compared him, I said Elliot I, Williams. <laughs> I said Elliot Williams, like freshman Elliot Williams with some of Rodney Hood's smoothness. I mean, that's pretty much he is living up to that exact comparison like there is I mean in terms of creating off the dribble and creating for others I mean Rodney Hood he's not even too close to Rodney Hood's level um at least at this point who knows what can happen in the future but in terms of what I see right now I mean it's everything Elliot was on defense I mean he is everything Elliot was and I loved Elliot Williams on defense and then on offense so much more developed right now than Elliot Again, I'm talking freshman Elliot Williams, but Cassius, I, I will say, like, I mean, Duke did allow a higher percentage um, of, of shooting for against Georgetown. Have you? But still, I, I don't know. I don't think it was because of anything related to. I mean, there were some miscues, but the backcourt, I, I sure haven't seen anything. I, I've said, get back to me after Michigan State, but I'm still with it in terms of. Trey Jones, Cassius Stanley, the best the best defensive backcourt at Duke. Have you seen anything to reinforce or change uh, what what you how you feel about my opinion? No, I think I think if anything, it was validated more this weekend. I mean, I I don't know. I think I think they're pretty dynamic together, and you know they were they both play extremely hard and seem to be in the right spot more times than not. Yeah. All right. So real quick, because Jordan Goldwire, I don't think there's anything he's doing wrong. It's just when you have def- players as great defensively and as versatile as Wendell right. and Cassius, I just and they can score. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the offensive score, value right. is a whole lot more. I just, right. I mean, it's just tough to choose him instead. Um, Javin Deloria, I feel <laughs> I almost feel like it's my fault. Where I I went on a Javin rant last time. He struggled last two games. There's really no way he around did. that. He and Javin is such a positive dude, and I saw outright frustration at times from him. And 
I mean, it's just kind of a reminder. These guys are human beings. I don't know what's going on with him on or off the court. Hopefully, no, hopefully nothing either way. But J- Javin, I think he knows more than anyone. He ne- he needs to play better. The foul rate's getting a little ridiculous. Missed some very makeable shots. It just, I, I mean, I still think he'll be vital this season. I'm not concerned, but it's just, I mean, for me, it was frustrating to see him frustrated. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's really all I can say that. Is there any, I mean, I'll say Alex O'Connell. I just I hope he can improve because right now his defensive issues, combined with the inability to just hit shots on offense, is very comparable to Matthew Hurt. It's inability, his defensive issues, and the inability to hit shots on offense. It's that simple. Matthew Hurt, he's someone who I hope will get to a point when we're talking about. I'll ask: Is there any, is there anything specific you've seen that you feel? Uh, could be something to uh, look for as a positive in the future where you say, oh, even though it's been a struggle for him, this could we could look at this and see that it might be getting better? Or you do you just think right now it's kind of a wait and see? Or do you think it's an adjustment for him? I think, I think it's just we're kind of in that wait and see type of actual put on the court. I mean, energy is always there. His positiveness is always there. O'Connell... I don't know. O'Connell looks like he's, he looks a little lost to me. Like in terms of he's forcing shots, he's taking some uncharacteristic shots. He's missing badly on some of these shots. So I don't know. I think it's just a matter of hopefully getting them back into rhythm. And and I don't know it's going to be tough because if Moore and Stanley and, and Trey are playing the way they're playing right now, I mean, I don't know how many minutes they're going to actually be surrendering. So I think it's just a, We'll see what happens because I know we both know. Well, I know. I mean, I, I, I'm I assuming that Kay's going to windle this bench down a little bit. So I just – there's going to be a couple on the outside looking in, and, and I think it's just a wait-and-see pattern. I mean, a wait-and-see right now and just, you know, see see what uh, see what Kay sees in practice also because a lot goes into practice. And, I mean, they see more than we do, but in terms of what I've seen on the court, you know, Connell and Javin are struggling bad right now. Yeah, but I think uh, Javin is different. I don't think Javin is really hurting the team. And No, you're, it, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I think he's had some issues, but I still think he makes enough positive contributions. And he's not – when he's in there, you don't expect him to score. You're just hoping he can finish off Absolutely. whatever. But – and his foul rate's back to kind of a, not great levels again. But in terms of all the good stuff he does, it's still there. It's just there. there's some negative stuff creeping up. O'Connell, if he's not scoring and if he has defensive awareness issues, then it's just what is he contributing? And hopefully he, he, hopefully he does get it together. All right, uh, one non-Duke thing. Have you, seen, uh, have you seen what Luka Doncic is doing? Or is it, okay, is it Luka Doncic or Doncic? Doncic. Okay, that's what I thought, but I keep hearing Doncic. Yeah. And and some people call him Don Cheech. I mean, I guess it just depends on how much you want to drag out the end and exaggerate it. But he he is a stud. Okay, like what he's doing right now, and I mean, he's getting shout outs from players in the NBA. I mean, he is he's a special talent, man. I I don't get it. I don't get how his own coach, who coached him in. Um, Oh, shoot. Where is he from again? <laughs> uh, Slovenia. 
he he's with, with the Phoenix Suns. When he came over to the U.S. and joined the Phoenix Suns, he chose not to draft him. I can't get past that. I can't get past that. Somebody who had seen and coached Doncic, he chose not to draft him for DeAndre Ayton. Luka Doncic was the easiest scout I've ever... I do a lot of NBA draft stuff. That's the easiest scout I've ever done. I mean, immediately... Like, I, I, not immediately, because I don't do anything immediately. After studying... I mean, it was just no doubt. He was in a tier by himself, way by himself. And for the for Trey Young fans, he's a fantastic player. I don't care, man. You don't pass up on a generational talent like Luka Doncic. No matter how good Trey Young is, I think he will be fantastic. He's not Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is absurd. I actually said, like, the, I listed, like, two negatives about him. And one of them was the fact that since he doesn't have, like, crazy athleticism and really quick footwork, sometimes he just the, he makes the shots harder than they need to be because he still takes these difficult shots, but the athleticism doesn't really allow for it to look natural. I think he enjoys it. I think he enjoys making shots harder than they need to be because he makes them anyway. I mean, and now that he's really getting on a workout plan in the NBA and he's getting into crazy shape, I, oh, I just don't, I don't get how anyone saw this kid and didn't think he was in a tier by himself because, I mean, I think uh, 2015 around then was like the last year I did anything based on gut. And it's still the stupidest thing I've ever done. I remember seeing like Mario Hizonia, seeing him and seeing just a couple minutes and being like, I feel like this guy has it. But unless you watch a ton <laughs> of footage and evaluate everything, you just don't know. You don't, and even so, it's still there's not there's not a science to this. But I mean, God, I was all I was off on him, and I think I was also really high on Dante Exum, and that's when I just if I don't if I'm not able to spend hours and hours and hours on a prospect, I'm just leaving them alone. And that's why, like, I don't even mess with the guys straight from high school. I don't mess with guys from other countries unless I have nothing. Luka Doncic I made an exception for. And, man, was it worth it. But most of the time, I don't – if I don't know enough and if I have to kind of say I think, then I'm not even going to bother. So that I, – I think Doncic was the first guy uh, from Europe or another country that I actually did a full scouting on. And it just it, it just blows my mind. It blows my mind. And the Kings, they didn't think he could play with De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox was my number one um, in 2017. I was really high on Donovan Mitchell, not number one high. So uh, yeah, um, but De'Aaron Fox is a beast, and they could play it together just fine. Just fine. I mean, Donkey should, Donkey should play anywhere. So anyway, that's, that was just some quick thoughts there. But I, I don't understand why people overthink things at certain times. I think there's always a risk of underthinking, which happens more often than not as well. But, yeah, I mean, it's just absurd what he's doing. If you haven't seen what, what Luka Doncic is doing right now, tune in. He is as must-see as anything. And I, real quick, I will add that my Wizards – they, 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 if nothing else, they're entertaining, but they stink. But, but, but Brad Beal scores a lot of points. I was, I'll say I was way off on Rui. Okay, it's too early to make a definitive opinion. I wasn't high on Rui Hachimura at all. He's making me look stupid, like really stupid. And I appreciate that. Now I want to look in, into it more and see exactly what 
I evaluated incorrectly about him because there's nothing. I don't say there's nothing better, but I, I kind of it's it's enjoying to see what you get wrong and what you can look at in terms of what to learn from. Rui Hachimura is making me look stupid right now. And hey, as a Wizards fan, I'm not disappointed in that. But uh, Brad Beal's putting up points, but the bottom line is every Wiz game, the summary could be Wiz score a lot of points, still manage to give up more. But at least they're entertained to watch because they are a train wreck of a team. Um, who Who's your NBA team? Do you have oh, the Bulls, right? Yeah, let's, let's not Wait a minute, did you see what happened Bulls. last night? The game winner by um, Levine. Yeah, what were they down eight and like with like forty seconds left? Yeah, they they <laughs> stink though. I mean, let's be realistic; they are not good. And and uh, Sadoransky had apparently had a nice little poster dunk the other day. X Wiz, X Wiz. All right, so here's like I haven't I haven't seen them. I haven't I haven't really seen the Bulls much. So let me ask you, I I made. The uh, when I scoured him, I said the the best shooter in the draft that year was Laurie Markkinen. He, I mean, his shot is just so pure. Like when he shoots, talk about thinking it'll go in, having a feeling all the time. Why isn't he making shots? Because as I said, I haven't seen him this year with the Bulls. He is not shooting well. What's going on? I don't know. And and he shot so well his rookie year too. You know, broke the record for three pointers made for a rookie and. For I don't know, he he had a couple of good players and they're just it's so hard to compete when you don't have all these you know you have to have superstars on the team and they just have a bunch of good players you know it's hard to win that way in the NBA unfortunately. All right, there's there's a little NBA stuff which usually we don't cover, but uh, yeah, I, I mean it's, I, I I love both leagues. I think too many are. NBA, NBA is the best, college sucks, or college is the best, NBA sucks. Is there any uh, other games involving teams playing in in uh, preseason or kind of dis- uh, late November, December tournaments that you're excited to see? No, I mean, I, th- I was I was watching the um, – I saw that I, I think it's what, North Carolina could play Gonzaga on the Maui? I mean, no, that's Michigan State and Kansas. I'm sorry. I think Gonzaga – in North Carolina, maybe the the Battle for Atlantis or one one of those tournaments. I'm excited to see those two teams play. Kansas and, and Michigan State would be fun to watch in Maui. So, you know, I'll watch I'll watch some of that games. It's a good time of year to see some tournaments and see some some uh, ranked teams play each other early to see where we're at. We got our own issues on. I'll say, and I don't know if there's more games involved in the tournament, but just based on what I'm looking at in Kempom, in three out of four games, Carolina plays the number seven team, the number four team, and the number five team. They play, wow. I mean, they play uh, Ohio State at home in the ACC Big Ten. Then they play Virginia away because the ACC is doing these stupid December games. I mean, they did November games. Um, And, uh, or early December games. And then Gonzaga on the road. So, that's tough, man. That is tough. Yeah, so hopefully, uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to have to watch more of uh, Carolina, but is uh, what's-his-name still doing his thing? Yeah, I heard, I heard Cole Anthony's good. Is that true? I heard Cole Anthony's good at basketball. So, yeah, he's – I don't know. They, well, I mean, Elon – they only beat Elon, but Elon stinks, and they only beat him by 14. 
Uh, Cole Anthony scored nine. 0 of 5 from 3, 4 of 9 from 2, overrated. I would say uh, he's going to be a D-League pick or G-League or whatever they call it. All right. Um, yeah, Backot scored 22, 9 of 14. And, yeah, I mean, there's lesser competition. But he was – he's my X-factor on Carolina, his development. So I'm sticking with that. Backot has – he has a lot of skill. I compared him on the preseason uh, part I did with uh, – Brent Wilkerson, New North Carolina beat writer. Who was and now I forget the name. Who was the uh, Carolina big? It's about five years ago. I loved him and I compared Backot to him. Tony Bradley. Tony Bradley. I compared him mm. to Tony Bradley. I was so high on Tony Bradley. I have no idea what's going on with Tony Bradley in the NBA. All right, so uh, we've got Stephen F. Austin Tuesday, Winthrop on Friday. I'm going to try to get something written on the website. Check it out, DukeBasketballCorner.com. Joe, thanks for joining me. Until next time, for the Duke Basketball Corner podcast, I am Adam Comero. Thanks so much for listening.